us, the principle always was generate revenue and remain profitable. Uh, sounds cheesy, but go to, America, go to Canada and find how many of the cannabis companies have stuck to those two principles. One, if that. When we had high hopes of him becoming, you know, someone who uh, in our little communities was seen as a respectable career. And here he was wanting to be a drug dealer. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating now that I'm probably more of an activist for cannabis after a year and a half of being in the industry than Marty is, in that I believe uh, a, a huge wrong has been done for the last 200 years. That's what you'll see. You'll see that the whole thing of a pothead is a television concept. It doesn't actually exist. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspire Pod with myself, Kurung Kang. We bring you the best interviews and content with leading business people and entrepreneurs in their field. Today's guests are actually a first for Inspire Pod. We're welcomed by a brilliant father and son duo. The father has over 20 years experience working with tier one investment banks, such as JP Morgan and Marilyn Lynch, as well as supporting commodities and mining projects to secure investments and funding. The son, he's only 25 years of age, graduated just three years ago from McGill University in Montreal, and he's interned as an analyst and developer for hedge funds and tech companies. In 2018, he founded a legalized cannabis business which took Europe by storm. Our guests today are the founders of Winchester MD, Marty and Faz Mushfegi. How are you doing guys, you okay? Hello Karam, thank you very much for inviting us to uh, speak on your podcast. Uh, it's nice to be here, thank you. No problem. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, th thanks for coming on. Um, I, I mentioned to you both just before we started, uh, you know, I looked into your business uh, a while back when legalized cannabis uh, was really kicking off, particularly uh, the CBD market. And, you know, you, you're both doing really exciting things in this. So uh, really uh, cool to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, where I want to start us then is, uh, you know, obviously at the moment, there's a lot of issues across businesses due to COVID-19. Um, what effect has that had on the cannabis business uh, from, from your side? Um, well, I think COVID-19 uh, COVID has affected uh, us in much the same way as other industries. Uh, some parts uh, has been devastating, other parts has actually been positive. So, you know, you, 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 you look today at uh, the, the high street and, you know, anybody with a physical store is decimated. Um, yet, uh, you know, the, all the DHL, FedEx, uh, UPS, they're doing a booming business. They've never had it so good. All of the local courier companies, they can't cope with the level of business they have. So, you know, uh, on the one side, you have uh, the, 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 the losers, and then the other side, you have those who've gained, uh, food manufacturing, food retailers, uh, pharmacies, uh, they've all seen a huge uptick. And then uh, I, I think, I think it, it's been very interesting to see how coronavirus has come in at the point where CBD was really starting to pick up even more than in 2018. A lot of projects, growth is and extraction, extractions were coming into place. So that in effect, we've seen projects put on landstall potentially to 2021. Um, physical cannabis sales have dropped dramatically as well and uh you know what we've seen through winchester is the, the the place where you'll win the most right now is through the online e-commerce and uh you know out of them it's going to be the guys that offer the most exceptional customer service because right now customers are more critical than ever of uh you know uh, discrepancies or issues with their orders so to offer a higher service than than uh than had previously been offered before and uh, you know, maintaining a very much online presence right now. Yeah, and if you look at cannabis businesses in the past, they've always been uh, businesses that required a significant amount of uh, travel. You know, where uh, if you have an integrated uh, system, integrated business, then your farm is in one place, your extractor is another place, your formulation, and. Mm. The, the limitations on travel has meant that uh, those who were in a critical part of their project they have now had to down it and, and taken the losses that that brings with it. We, we, uh, we, we don't really know exactly how much damage 
this is done to the industry. What we're seeing is that, um, you know, some people very quickly saw this was going to devastate them and started uh, selling their stock. You, you know, we had a lot of companies came, come online and say, you know, we're, we're exiting and offered their stock to anyone who would take it. Then we saw uh, companies coming on trying to uh, negotiate sort of uh, reduced uh, rates on, on a regular basis. But then on the other side, you know, you, you look at Europe now and you see that um, companies that are actually, they're starting to have to put up their prices because the limitations that they're on operating on, that means that everything's costing them more. So we may end up seeing prices going up. We've definitely seen prices of raw materials going up because they're harder to come by. Uh, you know, we will start to see how many of the contract farms this year will yield either poor crop or no crop. These are the key points that, that potentially will happen, will, will, will affect us. Uh, you know, when you're growing a crop um, in, in February, you're supposed to start preparing the land. In March, you're supposed to sow the seed. During the lockdown, this wasn't possible. Land preparation wasn't necessarily possible. So in fact, not necessarily possible. I think you're you're so right on that. that we're not going to see the, the full-on effects of coronavirus until you know many months from now. Uh, right now, you know we've got a good supply of CBD. Actually, since 2019 was a very large harvest um, globally. But now, with all these projects being put on standstill and and pushed to 2021 potentially, um, we're going to see a shortage, and we we just don't understand really the scale of that yet. 100% agree and um, you know it's interesting you say that within the cannabis market the clients I work with within renewable energies few of them are saying the exact same that it might not even be for another six to 18 months that we see the impacts of, of what COVID's done across all industries and what one thing we see a lot of businesses talking about is um, you know really pivoting and innovating during these months have uh, as Winchester MD had to innovate um, you know and anything new, uh, you know, on that customer side, customer service side or e-commerce side you spoke about? Well, you know, we've been very adaptive to the to the increase in online demand for cannabis because that's largely, you know, the, one of the most immediate effects on us was being overloaded with orders um, at a point when actually we were short on stuff because people were being told to stay at home and things like that. Um, fortunately, family-run business so there's always going to be um, myself Faz and Artif and uh, you know we were very adaptive immediately after that uh, whole social distancing instruction and we actually redesigned the warehouse in a way so that it is more efficient than ever and could have very minimal employees so that we could practice those measures and stay compliant with what the government were asking as well as keeping our customers safe as well um, you know uh, some of the we, we, we may have had to put some vertical projects like growing uh, for 2020 on pause, but we've reallocated those resources towards developing and marketing our products. And in terms of innovation, I think one of the things uh, that has been distinctly lacking in Europe uh, is innovation. Um, the cannabis industry uh, looks mostly to America for development of new products. And we've been very critical of that uh, as a company. That, you know, we should be doing more to come up with products that, you know, perhaps are, are more tailored towards ourselves. Um, you know, you look at, you look at the uh, deriv derived cannabis products, almost everything was developed either in Israel or in America. Very few European companies have done work in that space. You know, we're trying to be different. We've already launched the first 100% legal uh, joint. Uh, this, uh, that's, uh, that's been launched under the goods brand. Um, where there is less opportunity to come up with new products, what we've tried to do is um, innovate in terms of what it is we're producing 
and how it's produced. So we, rather than come up with uh, a clean room and just some uh, formulation, which potentially has hazards in terms of being able to control the quality of what you produce, being able to control the healthiness of what you produce, we partnered with a laboratory that is GMP standard so that all our formulations can be done under the same conditions that a pharmaceutical company produces its products. So all our products are manufactured in a laboratory that, ha that carries a GMP certificate for foods and cosmetics, which is the area we're in. So our innovation has been either in coming up with products that uh, are specifically suited to our marketplace, which the Americans have not uh, developed, or coming up with manufacturing practices that are much more suited to the products that we're actually manufacturing. You know, our products, although we can't uh, give them any medical uh, properties, we can't associate them with medical properties. At the same time, we're aware that a lot of people think that therapeutically they should be taking these products. So important to manufacture them with the same level of consistency as a pharmaceutical product would be. The CBD wellness and brands have all been led by myself and it's a passion project really because what we've done is we've identified the three core demographics that we have found through our, our online, online e-commerce. And th these are also demographics that fall into you know, who we are as a company. Um, there's, there's the recreational side of cannabis. There's the, uh, the athletic. <laughs> I am the younger, the younger one. Um, we've got the athletic side Every of time CBD. in Canada. Yeah, absolutely, and that time in Canada. Um, we've also got the nutraceutical slash pharmaceutical uh, CBD products. That's me. And absolutely, um, you know, with with each of those demographics, it was very important to actually create meaningful products that. Uh, you know, come at a good price, obviously, with the highest quality, some, you know, two things that we've become very good at managing. But as a third point as well, uh, and this is something that we've carried through with all development of brands, is just sort of maintaining um, a good moral compass, let's put it that way, which is what separates us from being the cowboys. Um, everything has to feel morally right and be something that I would consume or I would feel comfortable giving to, to my father or my mother. Um, so we have a very, uh, you know, close relationship with the actual cannabis community and we've been nurturing that for, for, since we started really, um, we've been trying our best to support activism, uh, and, you know, support educational media and things like that. And, you know, we recently had our first retail store in Covent Garden, a store called Leafy. And um, we were running events, you know, pretty much twice a week where we'd invite activists to come down and host a free event for people to come in, try all our products so that we could sort of destigmatize CBD in central London in Covent Garden and have people quite literally smoking legal cannabis products through, uh, you know, on the other side of a glass window and people could sort of stare at us like animals. <laughs> um, but then, you know, we would have these, these activist uh, conversations, which would be quite informative. People would come from all walks of life. You'd have um, medical patients, you'd have, uh, you know, recreational fans, and you'd even have people that drag their parents who have no interest in cannabis. And uh, this is sort of, this is the community um, vibe that we, we've been really living by since we started Winchester MD. And, uh, you know, where all of our brands have been morphed and formed by the community. So they're not really, our process isn't a product that has high margins and sort of is easy to come by and will have a strong lead time. That's not really how we start by building the brands. We start off by listening to the community finding out exactly what they need. What's already out there, we'll obviously we'll take inspiration from what's, what exists, but we're always improving upon it. And um, you can see that through our brands, uh, EQL, The Goods, and CBD Drive. These are three brands that hit their individual demographics so successfully. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it, this is a community effort as much as it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think just to expand on that, for example, one of the problems that uh, a lot of athletes have is if they take cannabis, they can fail the drug test. Right. So uh, it's how do you develop a product that 
that doesn't lose its effectiveness and yet doesn't fail a drug test. And that's when working with laboratories that have those capabilities key, uh, uh, pays off because unlike um, the normal approach would be, oh, I'll just use isolate. Well, Marty didn't want isolate in the province. He wanted everything to have as full a spectrum as possible without THC. Yeah, and that comes back around to the fact that we're not, uh, you know, we're not starting off by looking at margins or how how easy it is for this product to come into stock. As much as I tried to push up the margins, Marty would keep on beating me down. I'm obviously the commercial side of this business, and my son is the, as he said, the moral compass. <laughs> You'll find that that this synergy, this family synergy, I believe it to be the main driver of success for Winchester MD. It's being able to sort of bring in all these different minds and yes, clash, but also, uh, you know, create amazing products out of it and taking everybody's points on board. It's really, really interesting. And um, when you spoke there about, uh, you know, what, what you're doing to try and change people's thoughts on CBD and legalize cannabis by, you know, having activists come together and do meetups, etc. How, how have you found coping with the stigmas uh, in this market? And, and what's your thoughts on that? Well, let me, um, as a negative first, uh, I'm, I'm the, 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 the side that has to be convinced. I, you know, when Martin first told me he wants to set up a cannabis company, uh, uh, both me and my miss, uh, Mrs. Moshfegi uh, had to take a chill pill. Um, <laughs> spent, uh, so much uh, money sending Marty to the best schools. He went to Winchester College and then went to McGill University. When we had high hopes of him becoming, you know, someone who uh, in our little communities was seen as a respectable career. And here he was wanting to be a drug dealer. <laughs> And, and it's fascinating now that I'm probably more of an activist for cannabis after a year and a half of being in the industry than Marty is, in that I believe uh, a, a huge wrong has been done for the last 200 years. Um, but putting that to one side, when Marty started uh, the events uh, uh, in Covent Garden, uh, what I was worried about was the reaction of the other vendors having a cannabis store there. And it's interesting that they went from um initially not bothering then a little bit annoyed but then towards the end they were coming to the events <laughs> and you know the the first thing that really hits you when you go to these types of events is the person that you think is a cannabis pothead is not the person you'll meet that's what you'll see you'll see that the whole thing of a pothead is a television concept. It doesn't actually exist. And that the people who are in the cannabis space are some of the nicest, some of the most uh, patient and well-rounded individuals. They have good, great manners. I have met so many cannabis activists and I cannot say that there's one person that I've met that I've had an issue with. Yeah, very, very good. And, um, when you initially thought of getting into this market, how did, how did the idea come to you? And then how did you take it from, you know, idea into a profitable business? Absolutely. So, I mean, back in 2017, uh, that was about the time I returned home from Canada after finishing the degree. Uh, studied a degree in economics back then and uh, I was really eager to start working in cannabis to be honest with you um, but I also you know I wanted to take my education further so I was studying a master's uh, at the time um, so while doing that master's I found a job in the UK in London uh, one of the first CBD stores and uh, you know it was perfectly timed that allowed me to to work in something I love and at the night at night because it was a night school situation I would, you know, do my masters. And uh, I did that for many months. I was literally working six, six days a week um, to the point basically where I was running the entire store. And uh, I could see for myself really the changes, uh, the result of the changes that I've been making and the sales were very healthy. Um, you know, uh, it was great. So many months later, um, we were at a point where I, I needed to figure out my next steps. I couldn't really continue working at this store. Uh, I felt like uh, there was a bit more to do. Uh, so we created Winchester MD. 
in early 2018. And this has always been, you know, a family company from the start. It was started in, in our house and our first office was my old bedroom. Uh, we started off by offering handpicked premium CBD brands that passed our vetting process to make sure that, you know, we were really selling the absolute highest quality that we could get our customers. And uh, after finding success working with, uh, with my father and starting that e-commerce site, you know, we've, we've continued to employ the same mantra of, um, of compassion, transparency, and quality to just sort of get the best products out there. It's been, it's, uh, it's been responsible for a lot of our success, I believe. And, you know, it's a lot of people talk about transparency, quality, and reliability. Um, but those are easy words to say, but they're actually very difficult to do. And to do them costs money. And that's the difference is if you're going to say you're transparent, then you have to be transparent, not to show what you feel people want to see, but keep back information if you showed it would cause questions. If you're going to talk about quality, really understand what quality means first before uh, claiming you have quality. I went to the first NEC CBD show where at that point people were using the phrase pharma grade, which is totally meaningless, doesn't exist, pharma grade. And you know, I, I spent two and a half years working for a Japanese pharmaceutical company that's, uh, you know, uh, and I, I worked in their uh, regulatory reporting uh, section. So I got to understand very, in a detailed way, how quality assurance works and what it means for a pharmaceutical company to adhere to its regulations. And for someone to come along and say they have a pharma grade uh, product, and when you ask them some very basic questions like, do you know what GMP stands for? Uh, <laughs> and also then to say, would it be possible to come and see your uh, production facility? At which point they all refused. And the reason they didn't refuse, they refused, most of them were white labeling out of Colorado, but yeah. they had pharma grade. And this is plaguing the industry and it's holding back the industry. Um, you know, and why? Because they can, because nobody can stop them making up words. Um, and, and the simple fact is, until the regulators come in and properly regulate this, this industry, the industry will be filled with some, say, some unsavory characters and some people who are operating a good service. You know, um, it's not that the industry is all full of cowboys, but the cowboys do exist. And they can operate, and unfortunately, you know, they can make a lot of money and that will enable them to their operation a little bit of a shine, you know, the nice edges and everything. But the reality is look at the product and uh, do your own research. This is what we tell everyone. Do your own research, not rely on what somebody claims. You know, in the, in, in the cannabis industry, uh, one of the things people forget about is that cannabis until four years ago was illegal. And anyone who says they have 10 years of experience in the cannabis industry, well, six of it was breaking the law. And so bear in mind that someone who's willing to break the law and go to jail won't mind lying. Well, you know, that's where so, <laughs> old minds might <laughs> differ from you. No, yeah, I'm, just I, saying, I saying, I'm just saying, you know, uh, you're dealing with individuals, some of whom come from that area. So lying is not as big a sin as breaking the law, which is what they were doing beforehand. Now, my view, Marty's Marty's right. My view on illegal, the cannabis being an illegal product is 180 changed. I, I'm a firm believer that cannabis should be legalized, right? But I'm just recognizing that the type of individual who has 10 years of experience in cannabis is someone who, from a moral perspective, has no problem breaking the law because they did it for six years for six years beforehand. I mean, I, I think I think it's important to put the word "could be" that kind of person because, as as we've come to learn, and you know, it's becoming very much talked about. Cannabis is hugely medicinal, and you know, so I'm I'm part of um, a, a group called WTU, which is called it stands for We the Undersigned. They're a group of people that are um, actually crowdfunding to take in money to support 
um, their legal battle against the government for criminalizing cannabis. They believe that it, it, it is uh, taking away our human right to, to consume cannabis since we have an endocannabinoid within our system. And it's quite an amazing thing that they're doing. They've actually successfully crowdfunded this, uh, this legal effort. Anyway, let's not turn this into a political debate. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about activism on, on the call because that's not really what Winchester no, generates it, revenue from. But. It's great because it shows your passion, shows how much you know you, you, you want this. And, um, you know, they're, they're the sorts of business that win long term, right? And, um, you know, as, as this is, uh, you know, still a developing market, where, where do you see, um, you know, the, the legalized cannabis business being in the next 10 years within Europe? Well, uh, we're already seeing some countries reacting very quickly, like Luxembourg, uh, Italy, Portugal, Greece. Um, it's interesting, Luxembourg uh, followed uh, Switzerland so quickly in, in the form of legalization they adopted, because Luxembourg isn't a country that actually needs that. But what you've got to remember is Luxembourg is the um, point for uh, money. It's a, it's a money uh, jurisdiction. So by legalizing cannabis, uh, they made themselves the center pod for all companies that want to trade in cannabis, want to incorporate that company in Luxembourg. So it was interesting. And then we look at countries like Greece, um, uh, Portugal, and Italy. Why did they become so supportive? Well, uh, Portugal uh, needs has a big issue with unemployment and, and economy and, and they have a great, um, great uh, environment for growing cannabis. So they have been very uh, supportive to some extent, um, although they're not very organized and I'll explain that in a moment. So they, last year they were getting to the point where you could actually raise finance through their banks to do a cannabis operation. That would have been the first country that could have, that would have allowed that. Now that shows you that they really want the industry to go there because they see that as a form of employment and generating revenues for the country and all. Greece, similarly, uh, with the issue they've had of, uh, you know, uh, the, their economic meltdown that they went through uh, early on in, uh, you know, late in the late 90s, uh, sorry, in the, in the early 20s, Greece also needs to rejuvenate its economy. And so they have also become a, a center point for um, the cultivation side of cannabis. Okay. Uh, Italy, uh, well, in Italy, you have a lot of farmers who have moved to cannabis in the hope that they'll make more money. Um, and, you know, you've, we see a lot of raw material coming out of Italy. Um, I think also because it shares a border with Switzerland, uh, there's, there's historically been that movement of product across the border, uh, which has fueled uh, an industry in, in Italy that's obviously now flourishing. So we see that uh, these, these are the three countries that have really um, moved quick, quickly. The rest of Europe is moving at different paces entered the race and they are um, successfully making their challenge. Uh, Poland is more the lower low cost side of the industry. So you know they're happy growing low uh, yielding CBD products uh, because they have plenty of water. Uh, they just put the seeds in the ground and they go back and cut it. They really don't bother too much about Scrogging, which is the seal green. Um, they don't go there uh, tending to the uh, male and females. Uh, so, you know, they don't mind if there's seeds in the product because they're focusing only on the, on the products that will go in for the crude paste that's developed. In Portugal and in Italy, you're seeing higher quality of premium products. And in Switzerland, you're seeing the raw plant matter being used in a tobacco substitute form. So we're starting to see countries uh, embracing the industry. But, you know, you go to, uh, was it France, Marty, that uh, changed the law and actually put people in jail 
Yes, France had a very yeah. heavy-handed approach on yes. uh, on a certain CBD products, and they, you know, they raided a bunch of shops to make an impression. And uh, you know, the regulation is is a lot tighter now. So you know, there's still this um, issue of variations of uh, where <laughs> where the regulation lies, and if you're operating a company across all of Europe, <laughs> well, that becomes challenging because. In, in, in Italy, you can have THC up to 0.6%. And in uh, most of Europe, it's 0.2%, except in Switzerland, which is 1%. And in UK, <coughs> there's a lot of different opinions. What that percentage should be from zero to some people who have uh, misquoted uh, to 1%. Some people just have read things wrong. Um, but there's a lot of different, very, uh, d d different views on that. Uh, the, the reality is, I think that uh, UK's laws are uh, need, need need better clarification. Yes, well, can definitely see as you know the, the, there's different uh, levels of tolerance for cannabis. Uh, sorry, Marty, were you going to say something? Nope, nope. I'm I'm agreeing with Taz on all those points. Actually, great. Hey, That's so amazing. I'd like to replay this part of the podcast back uh, at some yeah, point. Yeah, first time during the show. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what, what, you know, it's great to see that. And, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll continue to make progress in this market uh, over the coming years. Um, one thing we really like to do uh, on this show is give people a good insight into actual, you know, good business and, and entrepreneurship. And Marty, can, can you... Talk to people about, you know, what your mindset was and, you know, what, what your thoughts were when you were actually going out and starting your own business from scratch. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I had already, you know, I had the advantage of working in cannabis for many months before uh, you know, starting our, creating Winchester and beginning our first e-commerce platform. Um, so I knew really what others had skipped out on, and that is the market research. It's hard to come by because when you're in an emerging market, you know you're, you're, there's a lack of direction on where to where to begin on this kind of thing. Um, so I, I, you know, I believe that um, you know looking at CBD from the eyes of the consumer and trying to understand what they wanted as opposed to the products that you know would benefit Winchester the most was largely. Um, the kind of mindset that drove success for us. And again, going back to the community, because the community has massively influenced our product range. We're not one of those companies that just sell oils. Um, that, that certainly is uh, the approach that many other companies have taken. We've innovated. We've created products that have never been seen before in the UK. Um, we've created a whole recreational range that kind of um, would scare a lot of companies from delving into because, uh, you know, it kind of exposes you and puts you in a position, let's say you're a retail store that sells a product that looks just like a joint. Well, then you're probably going to have some questions asked and you're going to have to deal with that. Um, but we know the law and we have, uh, you know, we have a brilliant team. It's not just family. We also have a full, we have a legal counsel for Winchester who uh, helps us navigate the, the legislation in the UK and has led to the point where we have a legal CBD joint that tastes and smells and looks just like cannabis, but, uh, you know, it, and it's going to offer very fast CBD um, absorption for whoever decides to, to ingest it. I think one of the reasons uh, that, that and Marty didn't touch on it, that he's maybe is being modest, but having started, he started from scratch, right? So this wasn't something that he built uh, with a lot of money. He, he started hemp health and he started, Winchester with a very low uh, capital base. But that's actually can be a very good um, principle. It, it can make you uh, adopt very uh, efficient mindset that you can't waste money. A lot of, I've seen so many, you know, Canadian companies raise so much money and now they're all going bust. You know, Jane Canner is going bust. Uh, uh, Invictus has gone bust. Uh, trust me. Yeah. Um, Aurora is likely to go, although we're not sure yet. But these are companies that were worth hundreds of millions. That, that, that's, oh, sorry, carry on. Now, we 
you know, we don't see ourselves in that league yet. But the important thing is, when when the business was first started, it was focused on revenue. It was focused on being a real business that can sustain itself. And we've maintained that uh, throughout all of our projects. Uh, we try to do projects that uh, can be compartmentalized into a six month work piece of work that then can start to generate revenue. Um, when we started to launch our brands, which was when we put money into our own development, we already had a customer base of over 25,000. So we prob the, the, probably one of the biggest assets we owned at the end of last year wasn't the revenue we've, we'd collected or the brands that we had built, although they are real assets. It was the data we were sitting on, that transactional data the new boat. that no one else has. And so it's important to know that, you know, you have enough data to be able to analyze the market and to base you know, when Marty talked about those three brands and uh, the, uh, the, sec you know, the, the market sector, it came from being able to analyze the data that we already have on how the market uh, participates in, you know, how, how the market transacts. Transactional data is very hard to come by. That's because not many companies, especially if you go to Canada, not many of them have huge revenues and huge customer bases to, to draw on from a, you know, a data analysis perspective. Very good. And, um, you know, it's good, good to see that, you know, obviously focused on revenue, but also the product and getting those customers on. Um, Marty, if there's somebody, you know, young people at home listening to this, uh, want to take inspiration, what advice do you give them about, you know, if they want to set up their own business tomorrow or, you know, really push themselves forward in their own careers? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's so important to know your customer, know your market. And again, like those morals, maintain good morals. <laughs> That's a big one for cannabis, especially. Uh, you'll be surprised how far uh, that'll take you, uh, especially with building solid brands that actually resonate and, and connect with people. Um, I found it very valuable to actually work in this industry and dip my toes in before uh, fully investing myself and taking time out to create the company. Um, you know, especially if you're able to start from sort of a low position, which is exactly how I did it. I was, I was literally on the, on the retail floor. Uh, and, you know, a few months later, I was running the whole thing, obviously, but um, having, having full knowledge, every corner, um, that'll prepare you for when you've got your, your company. And um, again, like uh, learning from, from those around me, I'm very lucky to have the father I have. Um, he's been a great mentor in starting this business and helping me understand where to develop it. And uh, while, you know, he's, he, he doesn't come from cannabis background, um, that's kind of where our synergies uh, come, come, uh, to, you know, come into play and uh, we've, we've had brilliant synergy working together and I think that's, uh, that's been a big part of my, our success in the business. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I always say it's a father's dream to work with his son and the son's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been a nightmare, Marty? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think he wants it to sound like it has, but it, it, I, I'm listening to myself. It doesn't sound like it has. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that, that, that's, oh, that, you know, can, can you talk to us about, you know, any specific challenges or issues you've come across and, you know, how you've overcome those hurdles, you know, particularly, you know, through your mindset, you know, through leaning on other people, et cetera? Well, Marty, do you want to talk about your challenges? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think there haven't been any challenges or like, you know, anything too difficult that it stands out only because when you're working with a great team, you know, those, those challenges become much smaller than they would if you're on your own. So, you know, and nothing has taken us aback or you know, held us back either. Uh, but really we have felt the, the pain of marketing in the cannabis space, especially starting off with uh, no reputation either. So, you know, word of mouth wasn't really an option. You had to sort of start off with that um, and start working to get that. 
Um, but we've been very fortunate to build those amazing relationships that I've been talking about uh, with this cannabis community. And they've given us a chance to have our products um, preached to people that actually listen. And uh, it's, not, it's not been, uh, this is not something that you pay for or we ever wanted to pay for or expected to. Uh, you know, this was earned through inviting our, inviting the community into our company essentially and ha literally vetting our farm. We had people come to our farm. We've had our products uh, sent out. Uh, we've sent hundreds and hundreds of samples just to make sure that, you know, they're making people happy and uh, checking the boxes. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the real challenges. I mean, Marty's, uh, Marty's talking about the, uh, the marketing side of things, but you know, for example, you can't pay Google ad to have uh, cannabis products. That's so, marketing, but yeah. But uh, you know, that's one of the uh, big things that you know you can't do. So it, it really holds you back. But the other challenges we've had are mostly corporate or, or uh, federal. So uh, in America, cannabis federally is still illegal, which means that uh, certain um, global organizations uh, will not support you. Uh, for example, Visa and MasterCard will not allow payments for CBD products to go through their gateway. Um, PayPal will not allow you as a CBD company to have a PayPal account. And Google, we've already covered. Um, I think, you know, Marty's uh, answer to you about the challenges of not being a big problem for us uh, shows his maturity. Uh, as a team, we've been able to address these problems, uh, problems that others have, have really struggled with. So we were one of the first, if not the first company in the UK, CBD company in the UK, to implement a card, uh, uh, card payment system. Not only that, our solution in the UK is actually cheaper than the payment solutions that you can find in California. Yeah. It was so much longer. So we've managed to come up and since uh, uh, our solution was implemented, there are now at least 10 gateways offering solutions to CBD products. Now that's not innovation, but it's at least helping develop the industry by recognizing the real sore points because can you imagine a, a, an online store where you buy your product and then you have to go and pay for it by going to your bank and doing a bank transfer it's, it's extremely painful and that's how the industry was operating before or some people some again this is where the you know like the cowboy operators become they'd set up their personal paypal account and they'd use that on their website which of course is illegal you're not supposed to do that. Um, so the companies that want to do things properly, you have to go through the pain, do the hard work, and come out of it at the other end. And of course, you know, we've done very well because uh, a lot of people have copied us again in terms of the payment solution that we, we put in place. Uh, it's now, it's pretty much morphed. The merchant bank that we found is now doing a roaring business in cannabis. They owe you commission. <laughs> oh, we'd like to think so, but that, yeah, try to get money out of a bank, Jesus. <laughs> uh, just one question before we um, go to the final round. Um, Faz, obviously, Marty spoke really highly of you. You know, being a bit of a you know being a mentor to him, and you've worked with some uh, major organisations in the past. For anybody who's looking to set up their own business across any industry, or you know, climb the ladder within their own organisation. What, what advice would you give to them and you know what, what do they need to do uh, to get there well to be honest with you the you know marty is the reason this company is successful uh, so I, i'm just here as i've been more of an advisor not i'm not responsible for the product developments or you know uh, the innovative innovative way in which marty's uh, marketed the products and uh, the, the bonds that he's uh, his uh, made so, uh, I feel almost as though this is a question that, you know, why is it, why are we successful? Marty's answered that. Generally speaking, setting up a successful business, don't forget the core principles. That's the point. Don't forget the core principles. And, you know, that, that's, for us, the principle always was generate revenue and remain profitable. Uh, sounds cheesy, but... Go to, America, go to Canada and find how many of the cannabis companies 
have stuck to those two principles. One, if that. All the others forgot revenue, remain profitable. And, you know, I mean, there, there's been a lot of other things that they've done, which has led to the rise of the cannabis sector in September. I don't know if anyone follows the cannabis uh, the sector, but in September, there was a meltdown of the cannabis stocks. And it was predominantly Canadian listed companies that led the way. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to build a business, build it on strong foundations. Don't build it on a loophole. If you build your business on a loophole, when the loophole disappears, your business disappears. So that's the key. The key is foundations. Don't forget the core principles. Brilliant. Very good. And Marty, do you have anything to add on that? I mean, I, <laughs> there isn't much to add. I could, I could talk more about sort of knowing your community because I, I strongly, it, it's just so prevalent that in cannabis, especially because of the prohibition, um, it, it's a product that does exist out there. Um, it's very much, uh, it's, you know, it's very much consumed by the British public. So we don't need to market it and introduce people to it. We actually need the people that are already consuming it to sort of uh, tell us what they want so that we can provide them the legal parts of it. Great. Really, really excited, um, you know, about what you've done so far. And, um, you know, you can really feel both of your passion for the market. There's no doubt, um, you know, one to watch for for the future and now as well. Um, And, you know, especially your passion and knowledge in the market, which, again, it differentiates you from the cowboys, which we're seeing left, right and centre. How we like to wrap up here at Inspired Pod, we typically just ask quick fire round as you probably see on a lot of uh, the, the podcasts, um, we'll, we'll do them separately, although some of the se- uh, questions are similar because it'll be good to see how uh, father and son's um, answers differ uh, on some of these. <laughs> so we'll, we'll give the first five to um, Marty. Marty, what would you advise people to do? Follow the money or follow your passion? Definitely passion. Who was your biggest idol growing up? Steve Irwin. <laughs> um, what, what was your favorite um, purchase that you've ever bought since setting up your own organization? Ooh, you know what it is? It's a custom glass uh, smoking piece that was created by one of the UK's leading glass artists for our new uh, retail store, Leafy. It was to commemorate the opening of our store. Very good. And um, what would you say is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that we lose the battle to legalize cannabis in the UK. And um, finally, favorite holiday destination? Hmm. Canada. (laughs) (laughs) My heart lies in Canada. And um, Faz, over to yourself. What what would you say your favorite uh, purchase has been since being in business? Oh, I haven't had time to buy anything. I've been too busy. Uh, literally, yeah. He, he he actually has been too busy to purchase it. <laughs> yeah. okay. I think the, I think the one thing I would I say that I really like are, are the trainers my son bought me for my birthday. But that's about it. And and they're really... <laughs> which pair were they, Marty? Uh, they're like a classic dad pair of Nikes. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Not Yeezys. Yeezys. No Yeezys. No, no, my no. Dress no. Sense. My dress sense goes through a lot of criticism. So therefore, yes, they, they thought they would try and modernize my, my, my uh, shoe wear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, who was your biggest idol growing up? My biggest idol? Um, well, when I was in Iran, uh, Cassius Clay, Muhammad. Fantastic. And um, what would you say, uh, advise people to work for, the money or the passion? I would have said money up until two years ago. <laughs> I've learned that you're likely to succeed if you do something you love. And as, as, an, as an Iranian who all our lives we were told, 
sciences, law, these are the, and medicine, this is the route to success. And we feel, we fail to look at what the passion of the child is. And I think anyone who has a passion and can follow that passion, they're more likely to succeed than if you push them into something they hate doing, but they might be good at it. So now I think I would agree with Marty. Passion is the one to go for that leads to success. 180 turn on uh, both cannabis market and working okay. for your passion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what would be your favorite holiday destination? My favorite holiday destination? I would say Caribbean. Interesting. A lot of good memories there. Yes. <laughs> and where can our audience find you? Um, you know, what, what's your online handles? What's your website? Uh, I'm not an online person. <laughs> I can tell I by that your to LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> I'm just, an, yeah, my LinkedIn is there. Uh, uh, everyone can find me uh, on LinkedIn, but, uh, you know, I leave that to the younger generation. Okay. Well, you know, you can find Winchester on Instagram. We've actually got a Winchester Farms account that shows you some of the projects that we get up to. Um, personally, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn at Marty Mushfegi. Uh, I'm also on Instagram too. If you use that platform and you want to see some sort of behind the scenes UK cannabis um, content, that's at Mart Shizzle, which is M A R T I. S-H-I-Z-Z-L-E. <laughs> Brilliant. That, that's fantastic. And look, guys, once again, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Um, really, really exciting stuff uh, coming from yourselves. And, and I think there's some great advice for, you know, people across business entrepreneurship in the future of, uh, you know, developing marketing, cannabis market. Thank you, thank you. It's been nice talking to you. Likewise. And um, just for the audience, remember, like, share, subscribe. We're at inspire.pod on Instagram and InspirePod on YouTube. And feel free to uh, drop us any comments and uh, look forward to the next episode. Bye-bye. Right.